0: Whether you're on the right or left of the political spectrum, I'll bet that lately the office of the president isn't far from your mind. Every day, it seems, I encounter one, two, three, four stories about President Trump, which includes those on Twitter that he posts himself. For me, as the stories keep coming, so do the questions. Who is this guy? How is this guy president? And by extension, just who can be president? What kind of character or lack of character makes a person right for the office? My questions aren't new, even if our current president raises them in new and, for me at least, disturbing ways. There's an entire subgenre of literature devoted to them. The presidential biography aims to give readers a sense of who a given president is, of the man behind or before the office. These biographies are usually cradle-to-grave tomes, or at least cradle-to-end-of-term, written with the idea that a president's early life somehow shapes his political destiny. There's even a version of this subgenre written for children, so kids can learn how to be like the young George Washington or the young Abe Lincoln, confessing about a chopped cherry tree or returning a penny to an old lady. Here, the idea is that, if our kids model themselves on the early characters of these presidents, they too might someday hold our nation's highest office. In his latest book, 44 American Boys, Short Histories of Presidential Childhoods, William Walsh explores not only these assumptions, but also the literature that's built upon them. To create it, he read through hundreds and hundreds of presidential biographies, from Washington to Trump, And out of that experience assembled a singular book, one that takes us across 285 years of American history and into the boyhoods of 44 men who shaped it since 1801 from the White House. The result is fascinating. Walsh didn't write a single word of his book, and yet it is clearly the result of a consummate literary talent. Bill Walsh, welcome to the New Books Network. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Eric. Well, it's good. Uh, you've got this this new book out, 44 American Boys, Stories of Presidential Childhoods, and I am looking forward to hearing about that. Um, but it's, it's an interesting book. It's an interesting book, both in terms of the content, which is, is very apt and of our moment, um, but also the way you put it together. And I wonder if be, before we turn to the book, you could tell us a little bit about about some of the other books that you've put together and, and your your artistic method, because it, I think it's going to be surprising to some listeners. Um, you, you work in a, a way that that we don't often picture when we say, think of Shakespeare in love or, you know, the poet in his garret. Um, so, could you tell us a little bit about you know your, the work that you've done uh, before this book, and kind of how you go about it? what What makes a what makes a book? What makes a work of literature for you?
1: Well, I've done some conventional fiction writing, a novel, and a few short story collections. But uh, this Forty Four American Boys this is the third book that I've done of uh, recycled content, where I'm deriving my ideas from from other writers and trying to produce new texts from their work that I hope is a commentary on their work and also a, a creative piece and a new way to look at them. So I s- about maybe about 10 years ago, I first started doing this with uh, Calvin Trillin, the uh, New Yorker writer. I came across a book of his called Killings, and uh, I'd never heard of the book and it seemed out of character for him. I thought of him as a, a lighthearted writer who wrote about food and about his family. And uh, I didn't know that he had the, this other uh, journalistic interest in in, in uh, murders that had occurred throughout the country during the 60s and 70s you know, in small towns and in big cities. And he went and investigated them for The New Yorker and, and wrote – really thoughtful pieces on them Uh, and read the book and and loved every minute of it and trying to locate the writer that I knew in this new topic or what was the new topic for me. And I I found it in the way that he used the interrogative, the way he constantly used questions as he told stories to get at what he wanted to say. So I started writing down the questions uh, and thought that they looked really interesting on their own. And they followed each of the stories in a really interesting way. So I sat down with the book and typed out every question, every interrogative sentence from the book beginning to end, and then just started playing with it, see what, what I had. And I sent it out to some some online journals, and uh, it's a journal called Opium... Accepted it. And when that happened, I thought to myself, I should do the same exercise for all of his books. Locate the questions and how he uses the interrogative in all of them. And, you know, he's written maybe a half dozen novels and a few memoirs, and then he's got all this journalistic writing. So there's a a real variety in what he's done. So each of the books was different. And at the time, I I started doing this. I think he had about twenty-one or twenty-two books out, and he's maybe published a few since then. He's also got some some books of light verse that he's put out. And as I completed each book, I I would send it out and got a few printed here and there, and a few accepted to online journals. And finally, had what would amount to a book, and thought this would be a really interesting book of a book that contained only questions, a book that uh, contained no word of my own that I, that I didn't compose. And, you know, was able to find a, a an interesting publisher in Keyhole Press, which uh, they had a journal, Keyhole um, had a journal out um, in the mid 2000s, early mid 2000s. And they've done a few books as well. A couple of my books since question struck. So that was the name of the book that I did on Calvin Trill and question struck. Uh, and then a few years later, I, I started doing the same exercise with with uh, the books from of James Joyce and his plays and his poetry as well. And I you know, minored in Irish literature as an undergrad, and you know really loved uh reading james Joyce, but i i you know I'm not a scholar, and I didn't have the same approach as a, as a scholar would. I was just trying to find different themes and different word uses usages in his in his books and trying to create some some different uh derived texts and some poems as well from that and uh, uh Kehoe put that out as well that was called Unknown Arts and I took the title from uh, the epigram for a portrait of the artist which is a, a quote that uh, Joyce took from uh Ovid I believe and and so then I uh, you know I never think I'm going to continue doing projects like this but you know, in the back of my mind, I wanted to do something with children's books and with and sort of juxtapose them against um, books on the same topic written for adults. And I think I've finally just hit upon the idea of the presidential biography because it's so ubiquitous. There are just hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, and it seems like the ones produced for children – just are are endless and they're constantly recycled and the content is, is very odd, I think. And then the, the, the books written about presidents for adults, especially in recent years, they, they're a lot more editorial and there's a lot of new tones, I think going into presidential biographies. But, um, so I just started fooling with that. Uh, taking books out of the library and also just copying sentences when I visited the library with my kids or if I was in a bookstore and just started amassing all these different excerpts from different uh, books on the president until I finally had what I would do is focus on one president and then move to the next. And when I got a few thousand words on each, I'd I'd look at it and start editing it and just, just focus on their early years you know, bringing them from from birth to to about college age, uh, and uh, soon enough, I had a, a whole collection of them.
0: Well, let let's circle back for just a second um, before we go yeah, into a lot. to what you ended up. Yeah, you know, um, as, as a writer who has sometimes worked with with what I'll often call found text, but uh, you know, right stuff that I take from other people. When when you know, non writers will ask me about. Th- A piece like that, I'll, I'll go, I'll stumble over myself and I'll start it and I'll end up talking about Duchamp's toilets or something like that and his ready-mades. And, and I like that you've called it recycled art because that, that puts this wonderful kind of eco save the planet spin on what's going on, right? Um, you're taking these works of art that exist and you're turning them into new works of art and, you know, saving us from that, that big, Carbon footprint of new works of art that we don't need when we can do it from before. So I, I really love that, and and it makes sense, um, at least kind of intuitively for me, that you you might take a you know a wonderful New Yorker writer and take that prose and and reframe it in such a way that that we get. To see it anew and, um, question struck, uh, was one of the pleasures of, of researching for this interview. I found that and I just thought this thing is amazing. Um, and then James Joyce, right? There's, there's this literary giant. You know, the language is going to be amazing. Um, but often when we think of the genre of the presidential biography, you know, I don't know if, if, if that strikes me as a repository of golden prose. So, so can you tell us a little bit about what was it about this genre or I guess these two genres, right? The, the children's version and the adult version that drew you um, to it. Cause the result that you end up with is, is fascinating. But if I was thinking about a, you know, a repository, a goldmine of, of literary writing, I don't know if those would be the, the places I would suddenly go hunting,
1: yeah, I mean some of the prose is is not great. And it doesn't uh, especially some of the newer stuff on the presidents that's available as really cheap ebooks. It doesn't seem like it's been produced by a writer. It's it's really bad. And some of that shows up in the book, but not a lot of it because it's just so poorly done. Um but the, the those thick books that come out on on Truman or Eisenhower or a lot of the critical books that came out on Clinton, uh, Bill Clinton. There was one book that that proposed itself as a psychological examination of his life. So they they were they were definitely putting an editorial spin on every fact of his life, including his childhood. You know his legitimacy as a, as a child his mother his relationship to his to his mother and and to the his stepfather and some of the other men who were in her life um but you you know they and they presented him as this grandiose boy who just sort of ruled the roost uh, you know had the the parents master bedroom in their place that kind of thing um so you see something like that which is editorializing to a great degree on an historical figure who's still alive and then you you can juxtapose that against a children's book written about Bill Clinton, and you know how do you explain Bill Clinton to, in a children's book? Because his his most interesting characteristics, you know, shouldn't be shared with children. <laughs> it's the Same with our current president. Um, and there was an article in the New York in, in the New York Times a few weeks ago about uh, publishers of children's books who are trying to come up with a way to. Publish books on Trump because you know it's it's a challenge uh, how do you present him to to a uh, to a child reader uh, because he has a lot of the qualities you don't want to teach a child so there's there's a ton of stuff and you're right it's not it's not good. Writing in many cases, but then there are a number of really great writers and Sandberg on Lincoln and people like that. And there are some amazing scholars who uh, find just amazing things about our presidents. Uh, but it's, you know, their prose is not often, it's not Shakespeare, it's not Joyce. Um, so there was, but I would still find something and say, that's a weird way to say that. That's kind of interesting because you could find a, a, piece, a, a piece of information about a president's childhood and see it reflected in six or eight uh, biographies about him, uh, and you just try to find the one that sort of struck a chord, whether it's a pretty note or, or a sour note. Uh, and I think when you're combining it with six or seven different voices in a single narrative on, uh, on a single president. You, you get something that has a lot of flavor and it has
0: a lot of variety from one president to the next. So, so tell us a little bit about that, right? What is the composition process? You've, you've got this, you're focusing on a particular president. You've got multiple source texts from which you can pull with different tones, with different styles, probably some of them written over vastly different time periods. Um, and and you're creating, you know, a, a portrait that in printed form could be four or five pages, something like that. What's th- what's the principle of composition that allows you to, to move forward? How do you know what to put in and what to keep out right. when you're done? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, uh, some presidents have – you know, 150 books written about, about them and others just have a dozen or so. Um, so it's always limited based on who the president was, when they served. Some of the older ones, especially the ones who served during the 19th century, there were a lot of interesting books written about them that are out of print that you're not going to find anywhere but that you can find online. And those are uh, you know, the purplest of prose, because it's all um, intent on myth-making. They're, they were trying to make every sitting president uh, a George Washington figure. And you also have a bunch of authors writing about the president, and you can tell that they're writing about themselves, about how much he liked books and how much <laughs> he liked... You know that some of these presidents were not the bookish types, you know. Um, and, and again, you have others that had a real stance. They, 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 they're writing from generally from the right, uh, in very critical tones. And then you've got presidents who are being re-examined like Wilson. So he's the only president who had a PhD, but, you know, his sympathies, um, on race were, were way out of whack because he came, uh, from the other side of the South uh, and he he his experience as a youngster was was very different, uh, and unfortunately he brought that into the into the White House. Um, that's not really much a, of a part of the the piece that I did on him in this book, but it's it, it's there. I mean, you can tell where his sympathies were. So there's the variety of um, points of view on on all of these presidents is is really. Uh, sometimes just massive and so that's you know, you're always going to get conflicting tones uh, about the same topics and I think that that really worked well in, in these short pieces so what I would do is just find as much as I could find books and, and look in in table of contents and then look and see all so who they're referencing in footnotes to find uh, original sources and those books, which were sometimes a challenge to find uh, and trying to put together a, f- a few little pieces about these uh, boys growing up and what they experienced and how, how that was relayed by, by authors. Uh, and it's interesting that so many of them, their, their childhoods were framed by, uh, by the wars that were going on in this country uh, and by other their e- expansion of mm-hmm. of new states uh so it was, it, it's re- it really chronicles that that whole mm-hmm. uh, the whole era of the uh, every era of the of our history and it's done so relating it to to a child and you know a hundred years ago, people weren't writing about children in this way. So it's, it's likely that what we know about the childhood of some of these earlier presidents, that's about all we know about childhood in America at that time, because no one was recording it um, or, or memorializing it in the same
0: way. Well, I think there, there is this idea that that kind of gains traction with Freud that the, you know, the, the adult character is somehow incipient in the childhood, right? The psycho origins of character. And you know that's not always the way that we've thought about how human beings come into the, their adult selves. Um, so you found that reflected genreically in the earlier biographies? I think so
1: because they, I think that's what the authors had set out to do in many cases, especially the books written for children um, because you're reading about uh, George Washington, and the subtext is you should behave like him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, or you're reading about um, Lincoln and you know his love for for learning and all of his great qualities. About you know the the story of him uh, reprimanding other children who were putting hot coals on the shells of turtles. Um, so that's a great story, and it's instructive for any kid to. To, to read, you know, you should not treat animals this way. Uh, and that's where you're learning some of these lessons when you're younger. And, you know, kids are being told, or at least boys are being told, you could grow up to be president one day.
0: Um, well, there's this interesting tension. It, it's also in the, the two titles of your books, um, but it plays out in the, in the books themselves. On the one hand, right, you've picked these, these 44 People, because they've gone on to have this this office right they 've gone on to become presidents, and right. on the other hand you you present them as boys right and and you make this interesting choice not to name them it's always he right, so you've anonymized them um, so tell me a little bit about that tension right there's There's a selection process that's very understandable we're going to encounter these presidents we're going to have some you know. Uh, hopefully insight into who they are and why they are and how they got there. And yet at the same time, there's this movement to, to make them representative rather than singular.
1: Yeah. Well, I, that's exact. that's a great way to put it. And that's what I was after. I, I wanted it to speak to uh, childhood in America during our entire history and even the prehistory of our United States Um, And I think that um, one thing I did learn is that we've all read too many essays about some of these presidents. So if you do make it anonymous, you can confront this child and learn about his life and learn about what it was like to grow up on the frontier in the 1830s or in Braintree. In the seventeen late seventeen hundreds, and that's pretty interesting. Um, I think it also helped to to shed some focus on their their families as well, so that they're not dominating the narrative in the same way that that they would if their name were part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of their their siblings were very interesting and were instructive in how they how how they grew up and who they became, uh, especially in the early years when so many of them had siblings who died. young, uh, And even when I look at a, a president like George W. Bush, who for me was a frustrating president, but reading about him as a boy and, and seeing how he learned about the death of his sister really does humanize him. Uh, and the way it was characterized, the book that I, in f- the best characterization that I found, was really compelling. I mean, he didn't even know that his sister was ill because yeah. his his parents decided to keep that from him. And he was in school one day, and he saw his parents' car pull up to the school, and he happened to be walking through the hallways returning. I think a record player or something like that. And he saw his parents and was excited and decided to run out to see them. And that's when they delivered the news that his, his sister had died. And, you know, his response to that and his, it, it was a response that echoed throughout his early years, really, you know, really humanized him for me. I think the same thing occurred with uh, with Ronald Reagan. So I was in high school when he was elected, and, and he was also a frustrating president for me while I was in college. Um, but he had a very difficult childhood with uh, an alcoholic parent. And, you know, you can really, you can really see that that person outside of uh, his politics when when you understand them as a child.
0: Are you willing to read one of them? Uh, maybe one of the ones you mentioned or one that, that you think, you know, does something you're particularly pleased with. Um, I think it would be really great to, to hear how they work because they're just, you know, hearing you talk about them, I think – if I were a listener, I'd say, what does that sound like? And and they are fascinating in the way that that there are these modulations of tone. And I think there's also, there's at least a double event when you're reading it. One is that you're getting this narrative of the childhood, um, but you're also constantly having this what's off stage effect. Like, what? what what did that come from right what's the context of that original source and and can i right. discern it um and i think that's part of the pleasure that that there's almost a double richness that's taking place one is you know the missing context and the other one is the new cohesion that exists or or you know the the variation within the the extant text there i'm scrolling through
1: to see what might be be interesting to hear thinking one of them more obscure presidents. Sorry.
0: No, that's absolutely fine. And I think uh, it's probably worth mentioning that um, I found from my research that you will often compose on digital platforms. And, yeah.
1: But well, I found that, you know, rather than running out to the library or sitting in the library, it was, it, it was nice to use Amazon's feature, uh, you know, take a look inside Uh, which some books you can read up to 40 pages. And, you know, with these presidential biographies, they generally begin with some, uh, vignette while he's in office, that's brief and, you know, dramatic. And then they immediately drop into, uh, his youth his, his birth and childhood. So I would be able to, to get a lot of interesting things that way. The, the only drawback with Amazon's, uh, preview of a book is you can't, I I haven't figured out a way to copy and paste the text. So I had to, I did have to rekey it. So in that way uh, it was work and uh, it was writing in some way.
0: Which is what Uh, we as experimental writers always have to do. We have to say, well, no, no, I did. I did do some sort of work. (laughs) I didn't just copy and paste it, but even that can be an interesting artistic act.
1: (laughs) Well, the, the book on Trillum was, was really a balancing act because I just sit with the books, generally taken from the library and uh, read along. And then as I found questions, pick up the laptop and type them in while I watch the Red Sox uh, one summer. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is the, the, the work comes in conceptualizing it, I guess, uh, if I have to defend uh, what it is and if it has any value.
0: But, um, yeah, you don't have to defend it. I think it would, <laughs> at least not to me, Bill, not At least to you. not to me. Yes. And, it, right. um, but I think it is interesting to, to hear artists who work in this capacity, talk about the vision they have of art. Cause I don't think it's one that's, that's still our default, you know, when we think about the NEA, if it will still exist. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Well, ha- have you found one that you might be willing to read to us? Yeah,
1: I think, um, I think what might work is um, number 17. So it's uh, Andrew Johnson. His life was one intense, unceasing, desperate struggle upwards with seemingly little attention to what the climb was all about. When he was born on December 29th, 1808, in a little two and a half story log cabin, his native Raleigh was still a new raw settlement. In later years, the story of his birth in a small building in the back of Casso's Inn became traditional. The story goes that his father and his mother worked at the hotel. When one rises to distinction, the world demands to know what were his ancestral relations, what his early environments, and what traits of character were prominent in youth. His ancestry can hardly be traced beyond his own father's family, and of these, only enough is known to assure us that while they were poor, They were honorable and upright people. His father was landless and illiterate. He made a living by engaging in various odd jobs, including milling, city constable, sexton, and porter to the state bank. His mother was a seamstress and a laundress. When he was only three years old, his father died after heroically saving three men from drowning. Thus, his early environment was not promising. As a poor white boy in a small southern town, he could not help but realize his lowly position. His family's lowly position undoubtedly made a deep impression on him. He could hardly miss feeling the striking contrast between himself and the elite. Unlike children of the rich, he never had a day's schooling in his life. His mother was too poor to afford it, and there were no public schools in Raleigh. All schools charged tuition back then, and his family had little money. The admirable system of common or free schools, which are now enjoyed by the poor children of the whole country, is a blessing, which at the time had not been experienced by North Carolina. And consequently, he was never enabled to receive an hour's instruction in a schoolroom. He never went to school one day in his life. He was a swardly complexioned, black-haired boy with deep, dark eyes, described as a wild, hairman and youngster. He was a member of a gang that formed by his cousins. When he and his cousins once ran across the path between the house of John Devereux and that of his son, Devereux sent his coachman to whip the boys back at their shanty. They were running naked, according to Devereux's granddaughter. In another version of the story, he was given a whipping for trying to steal some fruit from one of Devereaux's daughters. Yet poor though he was, he must have also realized that he was not at the very bottom of the social scale. After all, he was white, a fact that gave him standing immeasurably higher than that of Raleigh's numerous blacks. Although he freely played with mulatto children... He certainly could not escape the ingrained racism so prevalent in Southern society. He would never get over his childhood deprivation and the experience of being looked down upon by his so-called social betters. But he was no ordinary boy. Though deprived of schooling and books, he had a zest for learning. On discovering Selby's tailor shop where his brother was apprenticed, he he, he learned that citizens came to read to the tailors and he came to listen. And when he himself was apprenticed to Selby, he became known to his fellow workers for his interest in obtaining an education. He was taught the alphabet by fellow workmen, borrowed books and learned to read. Literacy came slowly for him. Not until his late thirties was writing comparatively easy for him for 12 hours a day. He and other apprentices practiced the art of sewing he was good at it. He and his brother fled their apprenticeships after getting into a little trouble in Raleigh. A reward of $10 was posted for their return to their apprentice, tailor. Applying himself steadily to his trade for his own and his mother's support, he left without any resources but his own exertions, and he thus began life struggling with the rough business world, but with a heart that stoutly battled poverty, poverty and misfortune. Through perseverance and patience, aided by a strong resolution to surmount all obstacles, success crowned his efforts. And to the great delight, he found himself able to read the speeches to which he had only a short time before been an interested listener. One who was a companion of his toil in Selby's tailor shop has testified to the restless nature of the lad, which frequently brought him into trouble with his mistress but adds that there were never any dishonorable traits of character manifested in his acts of mischief. It is said that he fell passionately in love with a young lady of Lawrence, and that rather than marry before he had gotten a start in life, he ran away from the temptation to which he was determined not to yield, and yet whose presence he dared not face. After his experience as, a, as an apprentice, he determined never to work for another man, He would have his own shop, and he would never have a partner in business. These resolutions he carried out, and they are an index to his whole life. He was the very personification of independence. He did not wholly repose confidence in any man. When he was 16, he moved to Lawrence Courthouse, South Carolina, where he worked as a journeyman tailor. Two years later, with his mother and stepfather, he set out in a two-wheeled cart drawn by a blind pony for Greenville, Tennessee. Here he married Eliza McCardle, a woman of refinement who read to him while he was at work and taught him to write. He did not know how to write his own name on the marriage certificate. In the evenings when he was done sewing, his wife taught him how to write and do simple math. He practiced his signature in the margins of his account books, but his spelling and writing skills never became polished.
0: And that's where we hit the end of number seventeen. Yes, <laughs> a little bumpy in there. I'm reading without my glasses. Reading without your glasses, here I am with with the actual physical book object. You know, enjoying the the leisurely of the page. And there you are. Uh, <laughs> it's part of the, part of the interest, I think, of of this kind of composition where um, artists are recognizing working in a digital world. Um, but nonetheless we 're bound by our bodies and our glasses i 'm certainly one of those <laughs> that 's right nice. well I, I I suppose you know what what we hear in that among the fascinating details of his life and the kind of ways in which the same facts will be narrated in different tones and registers depending on on what I imagine as the source is, is this kind of illustration of virtue right the independence right. Um, the tenacity the, the lust for education, all those things that you would think of as a, you know, in a didactic story for children or, or in something that was going to myth make um, a president. And, and so I guess I have a couple of like questions for you being in a unique position. And, and one of them would be something like, most of us out there have not immersed ourselves in the, literature of 44 presidents and the hundreds and hundreds of books that you must've combed in pieces or in whole to create this. So as, as you look at the office from this mountain of experience that you've gone through in creating, creating your book, what
1: do you see? Well, there's a, there's a good number of presidents who you can tell are, are, you know, by their birth are bound for that office, whether that's the Bushes or the Roosevelt's. Um, if you think about someone like Gerald Ford, uh, you know, he was president for only two years, but here he was another case where he was, he, he's the only president who had a different name at his birth, uh, a fully different name. And his, he was renamed when his mother remarried and, um, he took his stepfather's name and they gave him a brand new first name as well. Uh, and he didn't, re- he didn't know any of this until I believe he was in his, uh, his teens. Um, so his beginning, you know, born to a woman in an incredibly abusive situation, I think, uh, she was beaten on her, on her wedding night. And then he was born a short time later You know, who could have predicted that someone like that would become a senator and then a uh, a president and first vice president? He's also, you know, was unelected. Um, And if we look at our current president, I mean, his path to the White House is pretty remarkable as well. I don't know that there's anything that can that I found in any of these books that would say these are the childhood qualities of a president that, that, are, that are exactly true uh, and that you can demonstrate.
0: Uh, Bill, I think that's at- so great because that's the assumption, right? There's some key in their childhood that, that, that got them there. I, I just love that. I think that I mean the book is is so diverse and wonderful, and, and proves exactly what you're saying in, in a rich literary way. And yet, at the same time, it feels to me like like the genre of especially the children's book is there's some some little crystal inside of them that, that <laughs> grows and blossoms and leads them into presidency. Um, so one of the experiences for me was just the the kind of shattering of that myth by recontextualizing all of this myth making prose.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's 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 undercut. And when you look at it in a, a different context, you realize that's a really that's really silly, and that's not true writing, uh, and that's not it's not reportage, it's not even fact. Uh, so, as you say, it's it's myth making, and it it just doesn't
0: stop. No, it's gets um, it, churned re- again and again. I, I think there'll be a challenge with this next president as. <laughs> but. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, you know, looking at the polls, we we were we were certain that um, Hillary Clinton was going to be elected, and had uh, prepared a, a piece on her. And you know, to be truthful, because she's been a public figure for so long, there were a lot of really great children's books that talked about her, but they didn't present her as oh, President Hillary Clinton. This is what she was like. As a, as a child, it, it, it was a, they, in a way they were truer, um, because they, they weren't all PR, um, to the same degree as the presidential bios. And if, if you'd, if you'd read all of these pieces on her, you would think that is someone who is bound for the white house, you know? Um, so it, that's, that's one lesson that I learned. And and
0: you did. You did a story on her, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we had it ready to go. The, all of the um, review copies and blurb copies, the book was called 43 uh, American Boys and One Girl. And, uh, you know, the cover, was, the cover art was out. And, uh, and then we got this surprise election. And I had, I had a document with a couple thousand words on, uh, on Donald Trump. Uh, just in case he were to win so it was it was ready and we were able to do a quick a quick fix on that but uh yeah I think he's he's probably the biggest surprise president that I've seen in my lifetime for sure
0: well so the book collector in me thinks that those review copies with that text <laughs> <laughs>
1: right, right. There's only uh,
0: only a couple dozen of them I have one I
1: asked I did ask for one and uh it's 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 kind of interesting
0: <laughs> what what might have been the alternative history that's still floating around out there in a few places. Yeah. I, I mean maybe we'll get
1: to use it in a couple of years. That that chapter, I won't have to write a new one. It's already written. But uh
0: who knows? Well, so so maybe if we can just circle back to the Kind of the the aim and the achievement of, of the book as a whole. So if if you go to a a presidential biography, there there are some pretty clear expectations of of what the yield of that reading experience is going to be. Right, the the illustration of a life. If it's if it's editorial, it might be critical. It might have an angle, so you get an argument there or something like that. If you if you go to the the childhood version of of these biographies, you're going to get a moralizing tale, some instructional literature, um, you know, illustrations of varying quality, depending on who's done it. Um, so, so the reader who comes to, to 44 American boys, right? Like, what do you want the, the after image of that to be the, the encounter of that to be, because it's doing something that, that neither of those two genres from which it draws does.
1: Yeah. Yeah that's that's interesting um, you know I mean I started the project thinking oh i'm I'm doing a um, a literary exercise um, and that's that's all I thought it was in the same way the book on Trillin and the book on on Joyce was but of course because of this topic it's a lot more public and these figures are known by just about everyone in this country. And there's a whole cottage industry of, of books and presidential libraries and trivia. Um, So there's no end to what you might learn and see about a president and what it's supposed to mean for our country. Um, I I would think that people, a reader might say that these boys um, had similar childhoods to mine and that their families were a lot like mine, and there's something that separates that separates uh, a person who becomes president from the rest of us. And what is that? And you, know, you were sort of asking that earlier, and I, I don't know that that's written anywhere, and I don't think it's written in this book, but it's something about. You know the the great book on George H W Bush, Bush uh, "What It Takes" by Ben. I'm blanking on his name now. You know he he positioned the whole book on this is what it takes to become president at this day and age, and this is how George H W Bush got into that office. And it's it's um, making tons of friends who owe you tons of favors and. Will do for you, and and they'll do for you because they know that you'll do for them. And we're we're definitely seeing that now with our current president, um, at least at the at the high end of the of the wealth spectrum. Uh, and that seems to be all it's about now. But and I'm, I'm frustrated by my inability to answer this question.
0: It seems like the narrative is something like the the chance animates all of it, and within that, there's the the decline of virtue into the rise of connectivity or something <laughs> wealthy right. connectivity. Uh, well, well, as you wait to see who would be the forty fifth story if there was going to be a, a second publication or an online edition, uh, yeah, what are you what are you working on now? What's next? Oh um
1: I got a couple things that I'm working on sort of inching along in, in the computer. I think that they both might be novella length uh pieces of fiction and they're they they sort of blend original fiction with uh characters that we know uh from um just about the most famous American novel ever published. Um and, you know, I might fail at the book, so I, I wouldn't go any further than that. But I, I think I want to start um, finding characters who, are, who I've known through literature that I want to write about in different, uh, in different narratives. And um, I think that's going to keep me busy for a while, and I
0: don't know if it'll, if it'll work, but that's about all I got going on right now. So, so would you be willing to orient what you're doing in terms of something that might have popped up in listeners' heads, which is fan fiction, where you take a character from some other novelistic world and reanimate it? Right,
1: right. But it's sort of like taking a character who's minor but pivotal and thinking about him 20 years before the action of this great American novel um and putting him in a setting that was pivotal in the in this great novel uh and have be- because he 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 visited that same setting himself in similar circumstances uh when he was younger but it's just it's just a, a brief line or two in in the book and i think it's kind of fascinating to think about this younger boy in, in the same setting. So I, I'm really excited about it. I just hope I can make it interesting.
0: Well, you've made it sound intriguing. I'll give you that. (laughs) Okay. Well, that was my intent. So that's good. (laughs) Well, if, if it ends up shaking out, I hope that you will come back and talk to us about it. Definitely. I will definitely keep in touch. All right. Bill Walsh, thank you for being on the new books network. Thank you, Eric. My name is Eric LeMay And you've been listening to an interview with William Walsh, author of 44 American Boys, Short Histories of Presidential Childhoods on the New Books Network.